when this preacher travels and tries to come back in enough time to have at least some semblance of preparation for the Lord's Day. I planned all along to come home on a Friday night to be able to have sleep in my own bed for as long as I wanted and then having at least nine to 12 hours of uh, work time yesterday uh, preparation. That got dashed really quickly on Thursday midday when I was told my flight was postponed. So I had to pull out an old, hopefully old faithful sermon. I don't know how many times over the C.S. Spurgeon's ministry he preached from Romans 5.1, but it was more than once. So I'm following in the footsteps of C.H. Spurgeon preaching for the third time in 12 years from Romans 5.1. And if you have a problem with it, you have a problem with C.H. Spurgeon. So you can turn to Romans 5.1. I could title this um, Justification by Faith, because that's clearly in the text, or How to Know You Have Peace with God. How to Know You Have Peace with God. I have told this story that I experienced. It's actually true to fact. Many, many years ago, I was a new convert to Christ. I understood justification by faith alone in Christ alone for the first time in my life. And an older, seasoned uh, aunt of my father was, was getting older. And at some point, I asked the question to her and another lady, my father's cousin, um, are you right with God? Are you ready to die? Something like that. Do you have peace with God? And she basically crossed her fingers, not physically, but she said, um, well, you can only hope. And what she meant by hope is what, not what scripture means by hope, the confident expectation that God is going to do what he's promised. But she had the hope of, that's why I said cross faith. Well, I hope nobody can know for certain. Actually, that's what she said. Romans 5.1 teaches us you can know for certain if you do or do not have peace with God. If you ask that question to people on the street, I suppose you'd get various answers. Uh, some might say, I know I have peace with God based on my senses, my intuitions. And you'd, you'd say, well, what do you mean by that? Uh, I just know I have peace with God because I just know I have peace with God. Or I just know I have peace with God because I can feel it, Okay. Um, though many all around the world might say something like this or something close to it, it does not make it true. I know I have peace with God because I, I can feel it. Have you ever had this sense, this feeling about something, and you actually chased it down and executed the thoughts connected to that intuition, and it ended up being disastrous for you? Uh, yes, we have all done things that we initially thought would give us happiness that ended up doing just the opposite. So wishful thinking does not create or assure that one has peace with God. Others might say something like this, I hope I have peace with God because I try to do the right things. I try to treat others like I want them to treat me. I live by the golden rule. Um, and I think this is the thinking of many, but it really does not answer my question. How can we know that we have peace with God? Living by the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself, does not create or assure peace with God. Still, others do not think one can know he or she has peace with God. They might put it this way. We do our best and hope that's good enough but no one can know for sure. Now, I am going to argue that we can know for sure, and the reason is God told me. And God told me in the scriptures of both the Old and New Testament, but we're going to look at Romans 5.1 today. At our church, we believe we can know if we have peace with God. And the only way anyone can know they have peace with God is for God himself to tell them, this is how you have peace with God, and if you meet this condition, you do have peace with God. How can we know that we have peace with God? God must tell us that we have peace with him, and mean he must tell us how 
we have peace with him, how to obtain it. And Romans 5.1, among other things, does that for us. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So I'm going to ask a few questions of our text this morning. What does it mean to be justified? So whatever it means, it must be pretty important because if you, if you are justified, the consequent of that is peace with God. And whatever peace with God is, it sounds good, right? It doesn't sound bad. But you don't have peace with God as intended by God's word here in Romans 5.1 unless you're justified. Having been justified, we have peace with God. So what does it mean to be justified? Well, to be justified involves being pronounced righteous. It's one thing for God to say, this sinner, this ungodly person, I am pronouncing righteous. I am considering this person as if this person were, by virtue of their person, righteous, even though the person themselves, the person it's himself or herself, is not personally righteous, that is, rightly related to God, because rightly related to his law, I'm considering that person as if he were, because another person on that person's behalf is righteous, and I'm crediting that righteousness to that one, the sinner. It's a pronouncement. It's a declaration by God that a sinner is right with God, therefore has peace with God. But it's not a declaration that a sinner used to be a sinner and is now righteous because they worked their way to this plateau of holiness or righteousness and earned that title themselves because they're sinless or they do better than they they used to. It's not what it means. It is a declaration of righteousness based on the righteousness of another. Justification, then, involves God's approval of a sinner's standing before the law of God and therefore before God himself. Approval of a sinner's standing. Now, that just sounds like a a contradiction. How could a sinner be approved? Well, it can't be based on the sinner's works, right? But justification is an announcement uh, that this person's standing with God is approved by God, acceptable by God. Though justification does not alter or change the sinner's heart and character, it alters the sinner's standing before God. Uh, listen to Romans 4, chapter 4, verse 5. There's many verses we could go to to show you these things, but I'm just wanting to stop right now on Romans 4, 5. This is good news for sinners like us. We have these words in God's word, but to him who does not work but believes. So whatever believing is or having faith in Christ is, it's not a work of righteousness that earns something from God. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the holy, who justifies the ungodly, not the holy, the unholy, his faith is accounted for Righteousness. God declares ungodly sinners as righteous in his sight. Some of you know that probably have heard R.C. Sproul enough. You know, he uses Latin terms and phrases a lot. And at first you're going, man, this guy uses a lot of heady stuff. But he always, usually on the board, he'll tell you what it does and doesn't mean. And, and you learn a lot by him using these Latin phrases. There's a Latin phrase. Uh, it basically comes from Martin Luther. I'll just say it in English. Christians are simultaneously righteous and sinful. Christians are simultaneously righteous, rightly related to God because rightly related to his law, and sinful. How can that be? The verdict, um, how can it be that sinners, uh, Christians, believers, saved people, can be both simultaneously righteous and sinful. To him who does not work, 
but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. The verdict of justification upon an individual comes because sinners, ungodly people, are considered not in themselves, but in Christ. So whatever in Christ means, that's pretty important, right? Because if you're in Christ, God's consideration of you in terms of your relation to his law, whether or not you violated it or not, if you're in Christ, God doesn't view your person and your personal acts. He looks at Christ and his righteousness on your behalf. This is why we can sing, in thee we have a righteousness by God himself approved. There is a heaven-approved righteousness that can be credited to a sinner's account so that he can have peace and know that he has peace with God. That hymn keeps going. So by the righteousness of one are sinners justified. So justification involves God's declaration, a legal announcement or pronouncement that the believing sinner is righteous in God's sight because of the imputation on the one hand of his sin to Christ, Christ was punished for us, and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the believing sinner. And what that means, practically speaking, is as Jesus was in our nature, he not only assumed our nature, he assumed our duties, he was born under the law. Being born under the law, he obeyed the law perfectly. We discussed the seventh commandment. He never had an illicit, unchaste thought, word, or action toward other people in terms of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Not once did he. And it's not only because he was the sinless son of God. It's because he was assuming our nature and our duties and all the various stages of life in which we have sinned, and he's not sinning in those very stages and at those very points of temptation to have illicit thoughts, illicit words, illicit actions, he overcomes. He doesn't. Why? Because we gave in and sinned. So we need a righteousness that doesn't give in under all the circumstances in which we gave in. Jesus never gave in to these temptations. And he earned, therefore, this righteousness, this perfect personal and perpetual obedience to the law of God, not merely as a private person, but as a public person, a person who represents others, And the benefits of that representation can be conferred upon others. Justification is a legal pronouncement that heaven, heaven's only approved righteousness has been accredited to ungodly sinners. It's a good reason for us to say like, well, hallelujah, but not too loud. We can say it loud. It's fine. Amen. That's yes. That's a good reminder. Pastor, you remember Martin? Luther, we must beat the gospel into our people's heads because they're like us. They tend to forget it. So you had to know if the pastor's flight got delayed and or canceled and he's going to only get two or three hours of preparation, you knew what I was going to preach this morning. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So justification. Entire justification means that in God's sight, the believing sinner has perfectly kept the law of God because he considers believing sinners in Christ and not in themselves. Just think of God considered us in ourselves according to our persons, according to our thoughts, according to our words, and according to our actions, and based his approval of us based on that, we'd be toast. Okay, we'd be in very bad shape and no hope at all. The old Baptist catechism asks the question, what is justification? The answer is justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight 
only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That is a very carefully crafted answer. We sing it, the law thou perfectly obeyed that they might enter heaven. So, you know, the old question, if you were to die today and stand at the portals of heaven and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? There's only one right answer. It's the second grade Sunday school answer to most questions. Jesus. I don't know if you saw it. I saw it. I saw a little take. It was an audio video clip from a larger discussion. So I have to be careful but what I heard was not helpful. It was from uh, the Gospel Coalition, TGC. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Started many years ago by well-meaning people, and now they're having some odd stuff. Anyway, they were talking about the, the last day and entrance into heaven or not. And one of the guys got really animated, and he said the basis for entrance is going to be regeneration and the fruit of regeneration in our lives. And I'm going, I'm a goner. I'm going to hell. Oh, they didn't realize that. Listen, the law thou perfectly obeyed that they might enter heaven. What is the ground? What is the basis? What is the reason why sinners are going to end up ultimately in the new heavens and new earth in the safe place without sin. The, 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 the basis, the grounds, or the reason is Jesus hath lived, his righteousness, hath died for me. It has to be that. It can't be Jesus hath lived and died for me, and then I lived and died for him, and if you put the two together, I'm, I, I get to heaven. But if I don't do enough for Jesus, even though he did enough for me, if I don't do enough for him, I'm not going there. Okay, how many here want to say, man, I do plenty for Jesus. I am the best example of a wife, mother, child, whatever, uh, that's a believer. I do plenty for Jesus. I'm going to have, matter of fact, I do so much for Jesus, humbly, of course, that I got some leftover righteousness. And if you want some, you can write me a check. I can help you get to heaven. And you know, in the medieval, late medieval time, it was, and if you have a dead person that you're concerned about, that they might be in purgatory or something, you can buy this righteousness. What is, what is the language? When the coin in the coffer clings, there a soul, then a soul from purgatory springs or something like that. You can be so holy for Jesus that you do way more than you're supposed to. And so the extra righteousness can be purchased by others. Indulgences, that's what Luther really was not happy with, and I know why. So this definition of justification that I gave is I think Pauline and scriptural, it has no place for, in terms of our acceptance with God, either now or on the judgment day, it has no place for us to say anything like, your piety, your personal holiness, your good works are somehow, someway connected to the final verdict of God. So you better not be naughty or nice. Or, excuse me, you better be nice and not naughty because it, it will, on the last day, have something to say about whether or not you get let in to heaven. It's all we're, I want people under my ministry, if, you know, if that ever happened where that question was answered, everyone to say the same answer, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because that is the alone righteousness that heaven approved. Second question of our text, what, what, what is the means obtained, ordained by God to obtain this justifying verdict? Having been justified by faith. So, so justification is important. How do I get this verdict from heaven pronounced uh, toward me? It says here, having been justified 
by faith. Whatever just faith is, we know it can't be a work. Remember the Romans 4, 5, I think it was. Believing and working are not, believing is not working, and working is not believing. Working is doing something, believing is receiving something, right? Faith involves knowledge, believing it to be true, assent, and entrusting oneself to that which is known and assented to, trust. Knowledge, God's holy, I'm a sinner, Christ is the mediator between God and man. Assent, that's my only hope. I believe that God has revealed clearly in the scriptures that there is one name under heaven by which man must be saved and it's not my name and it's not my pastor's name and it's not my parents' name and it's not my patron saint. We don't have patron saints, but you know, those kind of things. It's the name of Jesus and not simply because the name itself has some sort of intrinsic mystical power in it. Okay. It's the person the incarnate Son of God who worked for us and died for us and was rewarded on our behalf at the resurrection. Faith is the means then, through faith, uh, sola fide, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. We could say justification by grace alone, through faith alone. Can we say by Christ alone? Yes, by Christ alone, and we should just go all the way and say, soli deo gloria, all to the glory of God alone. Faith, then, is the means through which we receive justification. It is not on account of faith or because of faith as a virtue that sinners are justified. Okay, So if, if faith is some sort of like a virtue, a good habit of soul to have, and God sees faith in you, he rewards it with the verdict of justification. It's not that. Faith is not that. It's not virtuous. It's not a work. Faith is a receiving. Faith is a receptacle. Receptacular. Is that a word? It is now. Faith is an instrument through which it receives something. It doesn't force the hand of God. The faith that receives the justifying verdict receives something virtuous, but is itself not virtuous. Faith does not earn, faith receives. Our faith, the fact that we believe the gospel, is not holy, is not virtuous, is not the grounds or basis upon which have a favorable justifying verdict from heaven concerning us. Faith is viewed here and elsewhere in Scripture as the alone means of receiving the grace of justification, the hand through which we receive something from God, not the hand that twists God's arm behind his back, forcing him because we have met certain standards, we are virtuous, therefore justified. That's not faith. And you might be here saying, well, I think I have that, but it's pretty weak. What's pretty weak? My faith. You mean the knowledge and the trust and the assent you have concerning God's message about you, his holiness, and the only answer? It's, that's, that's the object of your, that's what you're believing in? And if you say, well, yeah, but just barely. You know what I could tell a person like that? I I could say this. Having been justified by weak faith, or strong faith, whatever that is, or some kind of faith in between, as long as your faith is properly educated, and you're assenting to the truthfulness that it's a message from God, and you're entrusting yourself to what you believe, then weak faith saves. If, it, if, it only, if you're only justified by strong faith, you know, whatever that is. Let's say you had strong faith Monday, 
Tuesday, but half day, Wednesday, it went into weak faith. So then, then you get the opposite verdict from heaven. Having been condemned by works, you do not have peace with God. You had it on Monday and Tuesday because you had strong faith. But half day, Wednesday, you sinned. That would be, ooh, that would be terrible. It would be an emotional roller coaster, wouldn't it be? Are you saved? Well, I was for two and a half days this week. Why? Because I had strong faith. Faith is a means through which we receive Christ and his benefits. The object of our faith is the virtue, is the power whereby we are saved, not faith. You know, sometimes I think we think this way. I I can't go to church. Why? I've gotten texts. I had a bad week, can't go to church. I'm going, "You you know how many Lord's Days I'd have to call off church if I based my church attendance on good weeks? Sorry. If I was up on a pedestal, I'd just knock myself down, right? Uh, You know, I've said this before. What in the world is a good week anyway? Like sinless? Uh, Forgive me of my hidden faults, David. You know, I've said this before. Me thinks, not, not hidden to God. Does God know more about our sin sick, shriveled up souls than we do? Yeah, and you know, we probably, if we did a little psychic archaeology into our own souls and were honest, we, we would find out more things than we consciously have, but we wouldn't find out all the illicit ways our soul, our thoughts, our mind goes at times. It's not, it's not strong faith. It's faith in Christ. That's what we need. It's faith plus nothing. It's not faith with a certain degree of oomph attached to it. People that are really saved have a lot of oomph in their faith. Not faith plus a good heart. Faith plus good intentions. Faith plus faithfulness. Having been justified by faith, full stop. The weakest believer is as justified before God as the Apostle Paul. And you say, well, I don't know. Paul did. I mean, look at Paul. Read Paul. Read him. Read him in Romans 7. Wretched man that I am. I find this law within me that's, there's competition in, in, the, ap, in, in the apostolic soul, okay, for supreme affections. And he acknowledges it. And when it's all said and done in the Romans 7 passage, he finally just says, but thanks be to God. And then he goes in, launches into the gospel, right? The godliest believer is no more and no less justified by God than the weakest, most crippled believer hearing this sermon. You say, well, godly people, they're really justified. They're really going to heaven. Ungodly people who have faith in Christ are all going to heaven based on the same truth, Jesus. Paul's legal status before God is no different than any other believer's legal status before God. It's the same legal status, the legal status earned for us by Christ outside of us. Faith is not an introspective act of the soul. It is an extrospective you know what I mean, right? Faith doesn't look inside. Oh, I just need to, I need to engender more oomph in my soul. Faith doesn't look inside for the answers. Faith looks outside to God, according to scripture, through Christ. Faith is the soiled hand that receives the unsoiled righteousness of another. Christ. That's why we sing, uh, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. See how important that line is? When you understand the doctrine teaching behind it, you go, oh, well, that, that's right. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, 
Foul, you knew I was going to get this line in the sermon right. Foul I to the fountain fly. He thinks I hear my daughter. Dad, you always say that almost every week. I do. Wash me, Savior, or I die. How is justification, the justifying verdict, how do I get that pronounced about myself? Soiled hand that receives the righteousness of another. Faith. Next question, what is the immediate result of having been justified? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Immediately, the justifying verdict comes upon the the believing sinner, peace with God. Uh, This is why by the time you get to Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but what about noon on Wednesday when I lost my my um, super faith. Can you go from no condemnation to you might be condemned after all? Therefore, there is now, therefore, there is, there, there, therefore is now no condemnation for the ones who are, for those who are united to Christ by faith, who have Jesus. Okay, who are receiving his benefits. No condemnation. Condemnation is, uh, for those who are going to be condemned, uh, is a future act of God based on his justice, treating the person as an individual person and all their filthy works. It's the person at the judgment, naked, without righteous clothes, standing before a holy God on the basis of their own dastardly deeds. It's a a terrible place to be. Can that ever happen to a Christian? Can a true Christian, have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, end up at the judgment day, truly united to Christ, but they uh, uh, they get eternally condemned and consigned to hell? It can't happen because somebody was condemned for us. Somebody took the punishment due us already and exhausted the wrath of God. The deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. So, having been justified by faith, those who are justified by faith have this immediate consequent, and it's a great blessing, peace with God. Notice that the necessary prerequisite to this wonderful result, peace with God, is justification by faith. Having been justified by faith, we have this, peace with God. So this prerequisite is something that must be true in order for something else to be true. So if we don't have justifying faith, can we have, do we have peace with God? The only way to have peace with God, in the terms of what Paul means here, is you have to have justifying faith. So if somebody does not have justifying faith, do they have peace with God? No. Can they have peace with God without justifying faith? No. Can they have peace with God? Yes, only through justifying faith. Why? Because any just divine justice that must be satisfied either righteousness according to obeying the law of God or righteousness according to taking the punishment that the broken law requires, that was already taken care of by somebody else. So somebody that doesn't have justifying faith, does not have peace with God, can't earn it on their own, but they can have peace with God if they bow the knee to Jesus and receive the good news offered in the gospel. Notice that this result, peace with God, has nothing to do with our sanctification, has nothing to do with our good works, has nothing to do with our faithfulness, and has nothing to do with what we do. This is an earned for us, not by us, peace with God that can never be messed with. Now, does our conscious, subjective sense of all is well between me and God, does that go up and down? Is that a roller coaster at times? Yes. 
But can the objective no warfare, no outstanding warrants against us, that kind of peace with God, can that change if it's based on the doing, dying, and rising on, of Jesus? That can't change, right? So when you feel it changing in your, the theater of your own experience, don't conclude, since I don't feel like I have peace with God, um, I'm not going to go to him in prayer because that would be a shameful thing. It would be a shameful thing for you to lose a sense of your assurance, recognize the sense of your assurance has been damaged, maybe lost, own that it was because of a pattern of sin that you justified somehow, and not go immediately to God through Christ. That would be bad and wrong. Because then you would, then you would think, my subjective peace determines whether or not I have objective, real peace with God, no matter what I do. Now, don't take that as license to sin. What should we, shall we continue in sin that grace might, might abound, Paul says. May it never be, but it's true. The best of believers at their worst can look like unbelievers, but this, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God is not messed with by our sins. Our subjective acquaintance with God, communion with God, is stained by our sins. But our objective outside of us, having been earned peace with God by Jesus, that's not touched at all. That's why at our worst, when we acknowledge, I'm at my worst, you know, it's Wednesday noon or whatever day you get at your worst. Go in the closet. Get in the prayer closet. Confess your sins to the Lord. My soul's weak. I'm, I'm still justified by faith. I have peace that he's earned for me, but I don't have that sense of peace because I messed up. I sinned. I violated law. I got sinfully angry at my parents or child or spouse or boss or employee or whoever. This Result has nothing to do with our sanctification, our good works, our faithfulness, or what we do. It's based on God's declaration, not upon our doing enough of the right things. If I do enough of the right things, I'll, I'll really have peace with God. No, you already really have peace with God. Maybe the peace uh, of God, you know how they make a distinction between peace with God, earned for us, peace of God, experienced Maybe the peace of God has been shattered, but the peace that we have with God through Christ is not shattered. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We don't do things to obtain the type of peace Paul's talking about here. We believe the gospel. And then when we do things that are bad and sin, we go, believe, go back to the gospel again. We go back to justification by faith. By the way, are, the just, are those who have been justified by faith, are they continually right with God in one sense? Yep. Are they sometimes... Wrong with God, but not in the worst possible way. Yep. Are they always going to be schizoid, kind of like that? Nope. Fourth, and I think the final question, through whom is this result of having been justified by faith obtained? Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Don't you love prepositions? I don't know what a preposition is. Through, in, by, according to, through means, through the means or ministry of the mediator between God and man. That's how our ju the justifying verdict comes. It Justification means to be declared righteous, but God justifies the ungodly whose righteousness forms the... But then, if excuse me, if justification means to be declared righteous, 
but God justifies the ungodly. That seems like a contradiction, right? Justification means the declaration of righteousness. God justifies the ungodly. Then we have to ask the question, whose righteousness forms the basis of this declaration of righteousness? It can't be the ungodly's because they don't have any. There's none righteous, no, not one. But the ungodly are declared righteous. Then it has to be somebody else's righteousness that's declared to be ours, even though personally I am not righteous. Through, on account of, uh, or because of what Christ and Christ alone has done. So Christ brings peace between God and sinners because of what he has done for sinners. We don't get peace with God through what we do. We get peace due to justification, which finds as its basis the doing and dying and rising of Jesus for us. Thy works, not mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. Hymn 441, line one. You know why we sing that a lot. Let me say it again. Thy works plus mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me most is done. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I have three brief contemplations. First, we must constantly remind ourselves that there are two views of justification and two views only. This is where the Martin Luther statement comes uh, where he, we must constantly beat the gospel into our people's heads because we tend to forget it. I'm going to quote somebody from the 17th century. Listen to these words, these two views of justification, these two views of how a man is right with God. Here's what this man says. And they are that the justification of a sinner before God is either on the account of a righteousness in and of ourselves or on the account of a righteousness in another, even Jesus Christ, who is Jehovah our righteousness, law and gospel, faith and works, Christ's righteousness and our own, grace and debt do equally divide all in this manner. Crafty men may endeavor to blend Christ's righteousness and our own. It's actually, there's three ways of justification, right? God's way through Christ, our way without Christ, or a mix, mixture of the two, Christ and us. Crafty men, this is 17th century, may endeavor to blend and mix these things together in justification, but it is a vain attempt. You ever wondered, some of you have heard that quotation before, and I've probably said this. You ever wondered, who, who is he talking about? Crafty men. Well, if you know anything about Protestantism at the 17th century, you'd probably say the papists, which is true. But there was somebody else quite crafty, highly and intellectually endowed minister in the Church of England at the time, Richard Baxter. Did you know that Richard Baxter was, as one of his biographers said, how can a man be so right about heaven, the saint's everlasting rest is a famous book he wrote, and so wrong about how to get there? First time I read that, I laughed, probably out loud. How can a man be so right about heaven, the glorious status that believers in Christ will have endowed upon them, upon the judgment, and so wrong about how to get there. How was Baxter wrong? Well, he was so wrong, he actually had an ism named after him, Baxterianism. Whatever it is, doesn't sound good, right? Baxterianism. Neo, here's another term, neo-nomianism. Neo, new, namas, law. New lawism. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it's Baxterianism. Well, what is Baxterianism? Well, it's neonomianism. Well, what does neonomian mean? New lawism. Okay? So 
it means various things, but in this sense, it means Jesus did what he did and he accomplished his work. Without him doing what he did, there's no hope of salvation. But he also instituted a new law by virtue of which our obedience to it seals the deal with God. He died according to the stipulations of the old law, and he institutes a new law by virtue of our obedience to it, a synergism, two things are brought together, his righteousness for us and our righteousness for him. That's how you get to glory. Crafty men may endeavor to blend and mix these things together in justification, but it is a vain attempt. So fast forward to the little video clip I watched. The man was getting fired up. I mean, volume and passion started exuding out of him. That justifying verdict on the last day finds at least part of its basis in the fruit of regeneration in our life. In other words... It's not based on exclusively what Jesus did for me, but it's based on what Jesus did for me and what I do for Jesus. I'm saying crafty men aren't just Richard Baxter back in the 17th century. Our acts of covenantal fidelity, have you heard any of that kind of language? It's out there. There's a guy up in, not Russia, but Moscow, who says slithery things like that. In our day, it's not called, well, it's called neo-Baxterianism in our day, or neo-neonomianism, or the federal vision. I don't know if you've ever heard that. If you do hear it, be warned now, there's some crafty men involved with it, that kind of stuff. The old catechism's got it right. The basis for the justifying verdict has nothing to do with my works for Jesus. It has everything to do with Jesus' work for me. Second, contemplation. We must remind ourselves that this doctrine is for Christians. Who did Paul write to in the book of Romans? To the saints. You know how he opens up his, he means the church at Rome. The doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, is for Christians to meditate on, to have, to have beat in their head every week if necessary. The justification Paul speaks of here, written to and for believers and elsewhere, is a one-time unalterable declaration that if once true of a believing sinner, then always true. Your justified status, if it's a true justification, you can't lose it. Uh, you remember that illustration. Uh, they're in the Father's hands. They're in the Son's hand. No one can pluck them out of the Father's hand. No one can pluck them, the sheep of Christ, out of the Son's hand. Uh, the radio, popular radio guy says, however, though nobody can pluck you out of div- the divine hand of salvation, you can jump out. Uh, I, I am here to say, no, you can't. Justification, once pronounced, you're as good as glorified. It's only a matter of time, not a matter of fact. Why? Because the basis for the justifying verdict is utterly and exclusively based on something outside of us. Once justified, always justified, and hence always in a peaceful relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's say, well, third and last one. I said they were going to be brief, so let's keep them brief. This text actually provides hope for any sinner hearing my voice that is not united to Christ by faith. So why? Because now you know God justifies the ungodly through faith alone. Remember, faith involves knowledge, Trust, assent to that knowledge, 
That comes from God, that's true. And trust, yielding to whatever it says to do. This text, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, provides hope for any sinner hearing my voice that is not united to Christ by faith. Why? Because now you know God justifies the ungodly through faith alone. You have nothing holy to offer God in order that he might forgive you of your sins and accept you based on anything virtuous in you. But you do have a promise from God that all who believe the gospel of his dear son receive immediate pardon and acceptance with him due to all that is Christ's for us and nothing that is done by us. You have that knowledge now. So what what more could you want? You have God telling you your sins can be forgiven and you can be accepted in my presence just as if you had never sinned and just as if you had always obeyed. Receive him. What more do you want? Now, some people say, well, I wished I lived in the first century because I would have believed. They killed the Lord of glory. People that saw him and heard him didn't automatically believe. Okay, So don't try to put yourself back there and act all, if I was there. You have the written word of God. You have God speaking through me as I read the text and and explain them to the degree that my explanation is the divine intent of, of, of God's word. To that degree, that's God's word to you as well. The preaching of the word of God is the word of God. What more do you want? A holy God offers you pardon and peace by believing. No matter what your sins might be. So what should you do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for glorious texts like Romans 5.1 and many others. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. May the good old, old story, never become old hat to us. May being reminded of foundational truths like justification sola fide, um, may this feed our minds and hearts and give us spiritual vigor more than we had before we came in this room today. And may you do your great work in the poor sinner's heart and head, causing blind eyes to see, deaf ears to hear the wonderful news of the righteousness of God revealed, manifested in the person and work of Christ to be received by faith and faith alone. So bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.